everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. You need to start where you want to be because if not, you're going to be spending years getting yourself out of a hole you never wanted to get yourself into. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who have started multiple businesses together. And yes, it's as messy as you think. We know that starting a business isn't easy because we've done it four times. And on this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we love helping small businesses succeed, whether that's through venue consulting, speaking, team training. We love to motivate others to take those big leaps. Or you could just use our misadventures to normalize the crazy that is being an entrepreneur because every entrepreneur makes mistakes. But we like to call those unsuccessful attempts around here. And we know it's just part of the process. And today we're talking just the two of us about last week's episode with Brandy Gar. Brandy is a luxury event planner, thought leader, educational speaker, and host of the Wedding Pro CEO podcast. If you haven't heard last week's episode, make sure you go and give it a listen. All right, Dana, let's get started. Well, I thought that was really good. I feel I like... Know, so many good life tips. Yeah, like, and definitely relatable things, like things that we've been through. Like, yeah. I can remember those times mm-hmm. feeling that way. I feel like her journey is so interesting, too. Like, it mimics so much of ours, which is like, it felt like she was like telling our story in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Except for when she said her husband quit his job to work alongside her. And I just was in there thinking, like, I don't know if I could do that. Because remember, she was talking about how he would come in and he would like, you need to do it this way. And she's like, who are you? I've been running this business for five and a half years by myself, blah, blah, blah. That would so be me and Sam. Oh, no, you'd probably be divorced. You probably would be divorced. Mm -hmm. I don't think we could do it. Yeah. As someone who does work with you, I think you would be divorced. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's super gutsy. I know. I mean, one, it's like admirable, like he believed in what she was doing. Yes, I thought that was great. But then I would be like, no, no, no. Like, we need some backup here. Right, right, Like, my cautious self would not be. Yeah. Like, who was paying the insurance at that time? But, I mean, it (laughs) sounds like she did feel that. And she was like, what are you doing? But it's like he believed enough in her and enough in, like, what she had made and created that he gave her the assurance that this was the right path and the way to go. And I also think, and we talk about this a little bit, when we're like consulting with other companies, they like, kind of went back to their values and their mission statement mm-hmm. a little bit. Like that aligned with what they valued as a family. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for her to be able to jump in even further and do more, they had mm-hmm. to have some man on the street at the, ho- at the house. And that mm-hmm. way Sam is like that for you. Yeah, he is. Because he, he is, is he able is man, to be. his man on the street. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. The totally. person at home to yeah. support you. Yeah. No, I totally agree. But I, I, I thought that was really neat. And I, I think it is, like the final question we asked her is what you most proud of and her saying, staying true to her values. And I think that had to have been the turning point where that started. Yeah. Cause that was definitely like a big decision around yes. a value yes. of, of family. Yes. And I can really, really respect that a lot. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I thought how she also in the very beginning was talking about how she was always, it wasn't so super scary to her because she was always running towards something and mm-hmm. not from something. Yeah. Which is I, rare. We're an yeah. entrepreneur, I think. Yeah, but I always felt like we were running towards something and not front. Like I, we weren't trying to actively get out of teaching. 
Yeah, from and to are they're so similar. Like, are you running from something, but you're running to something else? You know what I mean? I don't know. I think if you're running from something, a lot of your decisions are based out of fear. You're afraid of something. Well, and I think if you're running to something, a lot of your decisions are based on like hopefulness. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I, so I would think if you're looking at our businesses to me, seeing the events was running to something because yeah. it was always just like a fun thing. And it was like, oh, this is what I'm aspiring to be, but I'm not trying to, I never assumed that planning would replace teaching. Right. Right. And I would, I never thought this industry would replace teaching. I just thought I would have, it would always be a side hustle that we did. Hmm. Right. And then when I think about the Bradford, I, us building it, I do think it's running from something from what I don't know, but <laughs> If you're going to categorize it as fear and whatnot, I think we built a lot, a lot of it out of fear. Like there was some hopefulness to it, but I think for me at that time in my life, we were living paycheck to paycheck. Like we had hardly, we were barely making our bills and our ends meet. And I think I've said this before, but I convinced Sam that the venue was going to be our financial security. It was going to be our way out of this life that we had right now. Yeah. And me be able to, because it was also like, I knew I could just go get a job, but then we would be in daycare and we, part of our family values was not that, was Mm -hmm. one of us being present for our child's life. And so there was no way to get out of it. It was either like, we're going to be here. One of us is going to be home and be poor, or we're both going to be work and, and go to work and have, you know, money. And there was no in between and building the Bradford at the time I thought would create that in between, which really did not create any type of time ability, but you know, <laughs> that's a whole other story. So yeah, I definitely think for me, that's what it was totally different. I don't know but then you don't know. you think like with hustle and gather, that's like 100% to something. to something. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Do. Like you're like, Oh, I'm going to pursue this thing's meaningful to me. Yes. And like I could be helpful, but, but the journey isn't just right. for me. But if you look at how we structure our businesses, all those things are the same. Like, like I look at C and D and like, it never was a financial drain, truly. Like it never was something that just yeah. drained us. And it was always something like, oh, we could give it or take it or leave it, right? It wasn't right. going to impact our bottom line. And Hustle and Gather is the same way. You can take it or leave it. It's not going to impact our bottom line, but you cannot take or leave the Bradford. It is like, that is our bottom line. Like, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like the, it all still makes sense. I feel like when I think about opening the Bradford one, it was like always the dream. Like it was always like, oh, we're going to open a venue. And I think we got into event planning. Like I say that as a way of market research, but we kind of got stuck in it a little bit. And I think that we realized around that time that that wasn't sustainable for us. Like Mm -hmm. that pace and that life was not going to be what propelled us to the next thing. Financially. Financially, right. And I always think, like, listening to her talk, like, it really, her planning company is what propelled her to the next thing. Mm -hmm. I always think, like, kudos to you. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard. Mm -hmm. Like, that is a hard, that service in particular is hard to scale and structure in a way that moves the needle forward Mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah, but I guess I never, my dream was never to open a venue because I thought it would be, like, fun and I wanted to be in the industry. Like, there was never, like, that goal for me. It was always just like, it was always about the financial freedom of it. And it, and planning was always about enjoying it. I always enjoyed it. I liked the connections. I liked the people. And 
And to me, the venue was an avenue for me to do more planning. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. See, I didn't see it that way at all. Yeah. (laughs) No, I always felt like like planning was kind of just exactly how I said it. Like Mm -hmm. what had the stepping stone to the venue. Yeah, but I guess my question is, what what did you what was your intention for the venue? Like you, I you, loved, you were just loved, like, oh, it would be fun to have a venue. I, I did. I thought I loved the idea of people like gathering in this space. Oh. I love architecture and design mm-hmm. in general, like interior design. And I just thought that we could do it well. Like I felt like we had a really strong vision for it and that we would be good at it and that it would be fun. I I th- I never envisioned a time where we weren't like in the day-to-day of it. Like I thought when we opened it, I figured we'd be running it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like like an innkeeper of sorts. And yeah. that's absolutely not the case. And, it's, and I don't think you should. Well, yeah, I didn't know at the time, though. No, no, I know. But, like, I am part of this wedding venue owners thing on the Facebook Yeah, group. yeah. And every single person in there that has an issue or a gripe or a problem, it's because they are in it. They are the owners and they are in it. And I think that it is just not a healthy place to be. Well, I realized that very early on. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of the first few weddings, I was like, all I see is liability now walking around my beautifully decorated mm-hmm. venue that people yeah. are gathering and it terrifies me. I do not want to be here on the day to day. Right. I am making emotional decisions yep. that aren't best for anybody. Yep. It's so true. <laughs> I know. It's so true. I know. It was just way too close to me, you yep. know. But just being in the industry in general, I love how she said that she finds a lot of value in what she does because she feels like it helps make someone feel important through a party. Mm-hmm. And I know we've gone through ebbs and flows of like how we feel about events and party making and mm-hmm. gathering. Cause that is the core of what we do. Yeah. I mean, like I, I won't ever look at like parties or weddings and look at it and say like, Oh, they're so frivolous and there's no point in them. Like I see the point in them. And I think after 2020, everyone has seen the value of yeah. like gathering. Like there, I mean, I still remember those first few weddings after the pandemic started, just how much joy, slight fear people have, but joy Mm -hmm. and like tears of happiness of seeing someone they haven't seen in a year. Like there is something really beautiful about that. And it shows how much we need to gather as people to be healthy. But then, and it's also nice that like, you know, I love throwing my kids a birthday party because they feel so special and they very rarely get to have a day. It's all about them. So like, I totally get that. But I think for me, like I've been struggling a lot with, we have a very, I look at, I can recognize the privilege of my life. I can recognize the financial security that we now have. And sometimes it feels like I'm not doing enough. Like, am I leaving the world better for my kids? Mm -hmm. Right. And can I look back and say, oh, I advanced your life and the life of your future children by doing this job. And I don't mean by creating generational wealth. Right. I'm, I mean by literally changing the world. And I don't, and I've been struggling with that lately. That yeah. I don't feel like I'm leaving the world in a better place. I don't know. I think you can look at it. Sometimes if I look at it in a, like too big of a way, it's all too overwhelming. And I just want to like crawl up in my bed and never get out. Mm-hmm. You know, like what difference does it make anyway? Because it feels so out of your hands and out of your control. But then I have to think about it on a very microcosm level. Mm -hmm. So like when I get in those kind of funky head spaces, I think about all the people that I do impact. 
not necessarily just like through planning a wedding, but I think about all of our employees and the people Mm -hmm. that interact with us and being able to express like our values and our opinions and our beliefs and things that we find important on them. And even like to the point of, and I I know we want to do more, but like with our partnership with Interact, like even getting them in the mindset of giving back and the importance of Mm -hmm. some sort of give back for the company or whatnot. I think about it that way. So like all of those little things affect those people. They affect their people and then those people affect the other people. So I think about it on that level because I Mm -hmm. think it gets too big when you feel like when the problem feels too big. Well, yeah, but if everyone thought it was too big, nothing would ever happen. Well, yeah, I know. So, I mean, I'm saying I think that you have to chunk it down into like what is the one thing or the two things that you personally can do and or people you can affect. But I, but I, oh, right, that wave. I, no, I agree. I, I'm not, I'm not disregarding that. Like, I mean, I had this literal exact same conversation with Sam and he said those exact same things that he said, <laughs> you employ those people. I'm like, I get it. Like, I don't need this hallmark answer to make myself feel better and give myself a pat on the back that I'm doing X, Y, Z. Like for a long time, that was our story. And that is all we could do. Mm-hmm. All we could do is impact the people in our office, because that's all the capacity we had. I'm not even talking about time. I'm talking about finance. We didn't have the money to donate to places. Right. We didn't have the the ability. We didn't have the time. We didn't have the connections. We didn't have any of that. All we had was we could change the small microcosm that we are creating. Okay. That's good. We've done that. And we are still continuing to do that. My point is now we're looking at it. We're staring down these, this time in our business and in our life where there is literal things we could do, mm-hmm. you know, and we're talking about like we have, I um, cannot say we necessarily have the time, but we have the finances, we have the infrastructure to create a foundation to do these things. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's these stories we tell ourselves and uh, that says, oh, I'm doing the best that I can do. You know, we've had this conversation before on this podcast about how the best is never good enough. <laughs> but like that you're doing the best that you can do. And I think that when I look at it, yeah, I am so proud of how we've run our business. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of our integrity. I am proud of the lives that I know that we've changed and these women that we've employed that have empowered them to be amazing people. And I will never, I don't ever want to take away from that. But I can also look at it and say, it's, is it time? And maybe it's not the time. I don't know, but is it time to look bigger mm-hmm. that we've, we've, cre- we've, we've taken off this chunk yeah. and we've, we've been successful with it. Are we ready for the next chunk? And I think that's where I am. Yeah. Like, and that's the question. Are we ready for this next chunk? Yeah. And that's what I don't know. That's what I don't know. I, and plus I don't even like 100% know like what the next chunk is, you know, like what mm-hmm. it. I mean, I have a general idea, yeah, a general idea, yeah. but I don't 100% know like what that looks like in actuality. Right. But it's also like, okay, do we start spending our mental time on figuring out what that next chunk is? And I, and I said that to Sam, I was like, I can't think about it right now. I got to get through August. Yeah. I feel like I have no mental time. Right. So when yeah. I get through August, like that's kind of what I've kind of pushed it to the back burner and I've said, okay, this is when we're going to like kind of re-examine this right and start thinking about what this looks like in some real terms and have some real plans going into 2023 um because I'm also not like stupid and I don't I look at what's coming down the next four or five weeks and there's no way for me to even wrap my mind around something else you know yeah like there's just just like overload yeah I don't know 
but I did love that. I think, I think what it does is I, I love her saying that because I think the industry gets such a bad rap sometimes that, yeah. it, that they, it's just, it was so, it's so frivolous. Like, and you have, I remember had an assistant at one time who was just flabbergasted that this client spent $20,000 on flowers, just totally flabbergasted. And she was outraged by it. Like, Oh, that could feed somebody. And I'm like, yes, it could do all of those things, Yeah, but it's not doing those things right now. What it is doing is it's serving this family mm-hmm. and it's creating this memory in these moments. And you don't know how far reaching that's going to be. You don't know if it's like, you know, since last time she was with her grandmother, yeah. like you don't, you don't know all these things that, that it is right. Like it's not up to us to tell people how to spend their money. And you know what I mean? It was real interesting. Like for me, the point of the importance of celebration and celebrating greatly was really driven home the Thanksgiving of 2020 when we had all of our family up and we were dedicating that ballroom to our grandparents and, and we hosted them all. And it was still dicey, like for us financially at that time, but we footed, it was, it was was end of 2020. Yeah. It was in COVID. So we weren't like rolling it in or we weren't. Yeah. But we footed that whole bill and like, it wasn't, inexpensive. It was 32 people, several catered events and blah, blah, blah. And it was so meaningful. Like the time was so meaningful. In fact, like now with our grandfather having had a heart attack, like his sole goal is to get to this Thanksgiving and to have that experience all over again. Mm -hmm. Like the thing that is driving him forward is to stay alive, is to recreate this experience that Mm -hmm. we created in 2020. And I can't think of anything more meaningful to Mm -hmm. me yet Mm -hmm. at this time. Do you know what I'm saying? And for us, like there was definitely some pride going into it, into mm-hmm. that event. We couldn't wait to show our family, like our world, like mm-hmm. this is our normal Wednesday or Tuesday mm-hmm. or whatever. But it was just, it was really so meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. And because it was so meaningful to them, and even though I see it every single week, I mean, mm-hmm. I go to NACE events that were nicer than that event, you mm-hmm. know, because it was so meaningful to them, it made it so much more meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So I do okay. think that there's like, there's that, that mm-hmm. the, that piece is always, is always present. Right. And sometimes I think you feel, you get a little bit jaded about mm-hmm. it when it's not your family, you're not directly involved or you see it over uh, and over like and over again. Right. Yep. yep. No, but I love that. But I love also how she, she talks about how important it is to throw that party, but the business part of it is also so important to her. Yeah. Which is so rare. It really is. In this in our industry to have anyone that has the wherewithal to be like, you need general business. Mm-hmm. Because you're just told, Oh, you're good you're good at arranging flowers, you should be a florist. Oh, you're good at taking pictures. Oh, you should be a photographer. And while you have to have the skills and those things like some amount of talent. Right. It takes that's only twenty five percent of your business. Oh, I know. The other seventy five is actually running a freaking business. And I thought she had some really, really valuable, great things to say about that. Yeah. I thought like one of the things I really loved is how when you're making those first hires into mm. your business, they have to have a secondary skill. I know. Because I think one of the hardest, one of the hardest hurdles, we have multiple people in our business now that we employ that don't actually directly make us money. Mm-hmm. Like it was very easy to say, okay, you're, I'm going to employ you because you're going to take on X number of events and that's going to support your salary, right? It was money I was getting in to money I was paying out. Did I have a profit margin? Sure. Yes. Good. Right. Oh, I made $10,000 on that employee. But it's a whole nother like mental gymnastics to hire somebody that doesn't have a direct ROI. Like they're just back end support for you. And I'm not saying they don't like they really, 
do end up having an intrinsic direct ROI, but her like actually speaking about that, like, yes, they can do what you do. Like, are they a planner? Yes, they're a good planner, but do they have a secondary skill that's going to benefit your business besides being able to do the service that you do to make money? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, but I think that's where a lot of people make that mistake is that, that mindset Mm -hmm. right there was, oh, there's no direct ROI to it, but I there's never a person we hire that does not have a direct ROI to our company because even down to like, when you look at the chain of the Bradford, you have the salesperson who obviously is bringing in money, great seller. Right. right? And then you have our event director and our event managers, right? If you were to look at that, like, yeah, you could say, okay, well, this event manager is taking over this amount of weddings. I had to employ just with that example you gave. Okay. Like it's actually cheaper to hire them full time than to pay per event or whatever. Yes, there is that. But the fact that you have somebody from the sales all the way down to the office manager, right, that is well-versed in hospitality, that is well-versed in client care, that the ROI comes in the fact that when people walk onto your property, that they feel welcomed and they feel valued and they have a wonderful experience. And whether that is translatable into that person writing a check to your venue, it's translatable into them being your most valuable advocate to every other person that, you know, gets married. I'm just saying it's a long game. It is a long game. That's my point is I I think I was agreeing with you that our first hires, if it wasn't a direct sales, it was like, oh, they're not really making me any money. Mm -hmm. They're just whatever. But at the end of the day, they really did make me a lot of money because they were so happy and they took care of our clients so much better than we ever could that we created a reputation that people wanted to get married at our space. People wanted to hire us as planners. We kept getting on more venue lists than we ever thought we would be on because we hired somebody that put the time and the energy and the effort to foster relationships. And that ROI is greater than honestly any salesperson. Right. You know? Yeah. I just, I think that there's not enough people like when people in the creative industry, I think oftentimes they hear about scaling or, they talk about it. They're talking about, oh, I've got so much business that I personally can't do it. So now I'm going to hire somebody else to do what I do, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how I'm going to scale and branch out, mm-hmm. especially like with planners and I think photographers, et cetera. But it was very much more along the approach that we took. Like one of our very first hires was a back end work. It was yeah. office management type mm-hmm. thing. And we're like, hey, we need to actually get this stuff off of our plate so we can go and get more business mm-hmm. and grow the team that way. And I think there's not a lot of people that talk about growing their creative business in that way. Right. Love that. I loved how she talked a lot about being mentors, how she used had a couple of mentors and one that she, you know, directly in her market. And it made me wonder, like, who would we consider to be mentors? And then are we mentors to other people? Are we filling the gap? I mean, we've talked about Megan Ailey often with OFD for the speaking. She's definitely a mentor. I think she really She's helps. a huge mentor. Yeah. yeah, guides us in the directions that we should go. But when I think about like early, early on getting started, you know who I asked a lot of questions to was Amanda Scott with The Swanky Affair. Mm-hmm. I remember I could always call her up and she would always shoot me straight. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, even though it wasn't like a formal like mentorship, like take me under your wing, right. it was, I could always bounce things off of her mm-hmm. and she would give me a straight answer, which was rare during that time, I felt like at that time, planners were like, they were not friendly. They were not friendly. It was very competitive. Everybody kept mm-hmm. everything close to their chest mm-hmm. and it was hard to get a straight answer at all, right. like concerning pricing or anything like that. But yeah. I remember one of the things that Amanda told me at the very, very beginning, which we didn't heed, 
But she said that when she first got started, she was mentored by Grace. Mm. And she said to her that you need to start where you want to be. Because if not, you're going to be spending years getting yourself out of a hole you never wanted to get yourself into. Mm -hmm. Never discount your pricing to get that client that you're going to be stuck in that client pool that you don't want to have. We We didn't didn't listen to that. But I was like, that is great advice. We got stuck. We did. Yeah. Yeah, I think early on for me, it was uh, Vicki Faniff for CE Rental. Oh, I loved that lady. Yeah. She was a great mentor. Yeah. She was She was such a boss. She was such a boss, but she was someone you could just say what was going on mm-hmm. and she would just support you in it. And she was always so helpful. And she, I remember when we were building the Bradford, I called her often about like rentals and how we should handle this and all mm-hmm. of these things. And um, she was just really, really helpful. Like I remember her just definitely being someone that was in our camp. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that was really it. I, and that's the thing is I feel like we, and I'm not saying there weren't mentors out there. We didn't actively pursue mentorship. No, you probably should we just have. always assumed that the two of us together was fine. Like we didn't need another mentor, but. We need um, a therapist, not a mentor. Right. But I mean, <laughs> if we could just survive each other, everything was going to be fine. <laughs> I, I think we were just, I, honestly, I was really afraid of the industry. I was very intimidated by the very successful people there. And I felt like it was not a warm, fuzzy place. Mm-hmm. It was not a place that people embraced you. Yeah. At I, all. I agree with that. Like, and I don't think I'm alone in that. There's many of people that I've had conversations with that have felt very similarly. And I feel like that has, that truly has changed in the past 17 years. Yeah. I do think that. So, I mean, it makes, I think seeing that change and I think I mentioned it before in the podcast, like that, like building that team and having that as like really what's pushed to me, what has built my passion to be more of like a mentor coach for other businesses because I think it's something that's just so necessary. I think we did lots of things wrong. I think we did lots of things right. And I want to be able to help people truncate that amount of time between the wrong and the right. Because I feel like ours was kind of a long journey between the wrong and the right. It was a very long journey. Yeah. Between the wrong and the right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I also loved talking about business and how she said if she were to go back and give herself advice. I would give myself the same advice to build a business in a way that is exitable. Mm-hmm. I think this is where creatives get it wrong all the time. All the time. Literally all the time is mm-hmm. you create this business that's based on you mm-hmm. and surrounding you and your skills and you can never exit it. Mm-hmm. And if you, the exiting it is just ending it. And then you've put all this energy, effort, time, money, blood, sweat, tears, maybe an organ. I don't really know into this thing that you can't even sell. Right. What that, a tragedy. I know, but it's so hard to imagine when you start out just, just selling it. Like, and I think it's, it's, I mean, it's the same, it's the same concept that like you hear. I remember, I remember when I was in college, we, it was like one of our, one of our classes. I don't remember which one it was. I don't remember which class it was, but it was something, it was like one of our teaching classes and they were talking about, okay, you're getting, going into public education and they were going over like, here's what basically how you should set up your pay because you don't get paid over the summer. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about like, you have options of putting stuff into 401ks and your retirement plan and it automatically does it, all these things. Right. And here, here's how you can maximize whatever. And I remember started thinking like, oh, why are we talking about retirement? Like I'm 22, like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and not like so silly. And they said like, it is the biggest mistake that if you are not putting money away from retirement from an early age, like you're just missing out on 
Yeah, the time value of money. Right, exactly. Right. And I feel like when you're young, it's hard to look ahead and it's hard to imagine retirement. It's hard to imagine a different life than what you have right then and there. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the things with the business is you do have to look into the future. And to me, it's not even like, do I sell it? But it's like, how how do I retire? Is it selling it? Or is it building it up to a point where you are truly a CEO mm-hmm. and you have a board of directors that are operating this business? Is it that big and that big enough for that? Mm-hmm. Is it a merge? Right. Right. Like, what does that look like? And I don't think you have to have all the answers at yeah. 22 or when you start your business necessarily, but I think you have to start making decisions with that in the back of your mind. Yeah. Sure. Because we did not do that well. I no. mean, the way our business is structured is so messy. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have like one parent company, like, and we're, we're actually actively working on creating different LLCs within the company so that we can sell off certain parts of the yeah. business and not all of it. It's so messy. I know. And it's made, it's made everything messy. It's made banking messy. It's made accounting messy. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't ever just pull a report and be like, how much money did CD make this year? Nope. You have <laughs> to have 10,000 spreadsheets to tell you that answer. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like I think most people don't get into a business thinking through how they're going to get out of that business unless mm-hmm. you're just like a crazy startup that but wants you to should. be bought. But you should. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. You should. I think before we talk about fuck up of the week, I want to talk about one thing she mentioned that was when she was talking about how when you make the wrong hire or someone doesn't work out a lot, of most of the time it's like what you as a manager or boss did wrong. Right. And I've just recently been reflecting on how we always, you know, talk about this worst hire, worst hire, worst hire. We just had another, I wouldn't say as a worst hire. It was just, we had a rough end to a hire and it made me reflect on like, okay, like what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think time being away from it has maybe given me probably a little bit softerness to it, but I don't think softerness is a word. Softness to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that it made me think, I've really been thinking about what did we do wrong Yeah. in that. And I feel like when it came down to, and I think of that, that bad hire that we had, it really was the fact that we didn't take the time to actually know who she was. We just wanted to believe who she was and the way we managed her really brought out the absolute worst in her. Because we, I think we managed her in a way that we wanted her to be and not how she was. Right. But like her, her strengths if she had proper guidance, would have been amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like. I but what w- we needed wasn't what she had. No, right. So like, yeah. but I think if we knew who she was sooner and we actually like said, okay, this isn't going to be the best fit. Like either it was like, hey, this isn't going to work out or like you need to go in a completely different place of our company. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think, and then to be fair to us, we did realize that at some point that she would be better here in this part of our company. And she said no. And at that point is when we should have said but that's the only strength you have. Like that's right. the best thing for you. But it definitely made me like curious to think through like all the jobs I've had and all the things and like looking at somebody and how rare it is for someone in, in a position of power or in leadership to take a step back and say, okay, that was a total and crazy disaster. Mm-hmm. And how was that my fault? Yeah. And being able to like really take a look at it and say, okay, I did this really terribly. Yeah. I totally agree. I take a lot of ownership of that bad situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think before I took ownership of how it ended. Yeah. But not of the middle. The middle. Yeah. Like I've always taken ownership of how it ended. That was not great. But I've never taken ownership of how the demise 
of it all mm-hmm. was really ultimately our fault. Right. I think I saw a lot of it as our fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the demise. Yeah. Like we were listening to the rest of our team. We just wanted it so badly. We just wanted it to fit. Like mm-hmm. we wanted, we were not in a mental space to onboard anybody because we didn't have the bandwidth or the energy to do it. We just wanted someone to take what was in our head and run with it. But, it, but, but that wasn't even the problem. Like that wasn't the issue. The yeah. issue was really that she was in a, in a position that was not her strength. Sure. And that we, it wasn't, and it, and yeah, I'm sure we didn't listen to the team about things here, there, whatever, but it was very much like we didn't take the time to understand like who she needed us to be as bosses and managers. Right. We just assumed, we just said, this is who you need to be because we don't have time for it. So go be this person. Yeah. And then all along what it did is it just made her so unbelievably insecure. Yeah. And so like hyper aware of her failings because it was constantly being pointed out at how you were failing because you were not living up to this expectation that I said you had to be. Right. You know? And I, I think that whole thing did teach me. That's one of the strong messages is that I can't just manage anybody. Right. Yes. Like as a manager, like I'm not a good fit for everybody. Right. And I think it does take someone with some security to be in our office environment yes. and to have us be their managers. Yes, I agree. There's not a lot of insecure people that right. make it with us. Yeah. All right. Fuck up of the week. I don't know. I think the fuck up of the week. is shared probably. It's probably shared. It's been redoing all of our accounting. accounting. <laughs> it's not even our accounting. Let's look back up because we totally outsource our bookkeeping we outsource like all the taxes stuff. It's processing payments and updating client invoices is, and then, and then there's like some back end stuff of like, okay, cause our people get commissioned. So there's like, you have to keep track of their spreadsheets for the bar commissions or spreadsheets for the yeah. catering commissions. Yeah. And then as we had said before, how we set up our business to be a pain in the ass that it's there the ass. is no way to tell profit margins and things. And for us to be able to make decisions about like C&D and Anthem House, all that, we're trying to like get a better handle on numbers. So there's spreadsheets for that. So there's just all this shit that's hard. And we I wouldn't are, call it hard. I would say it is cumbersome. Cumbersome. It's, it isn't hard. You're it's right. It's not hard. It's just tedious. Tedious. And we had moved over office managers. So we were really trying to fill the gap of like what was lacking in the last office manager, like mm-hmm. of what wasn't getting done. And then, you know, trying to train this new person into, into doing it well. But I think for me, the, for me personally, the overall fuck up of the week was my full on trust that things were just getting done correctly and yeah. they were not getting done correctly. Yeah. I realized, okay, we need to have a check-in periodically we didn't have a check-in but then I also <laughs> feel like honestly like it's kind of goes back to again the same thing the same mistake that we made before was it just wasn't her strength but we knew that we did know that but we felt like at the time we made the decision to keep her on because we cared about her yeah and we felt like she needed the team and we felt like she couldn't be messing it up that badly and she didn't mess up that badly it's not like we're like missing money or anything like that it's yeah. just it's a little bit of a puzzle we're trying to figure out well, yeah, it's just like every every process that you're like, okay, here's how you do it to show this new person. You realize like the broken things in it, mm-hmm. so you got to go back and like fix it or recreate right. it or whatever. So it's it just, just takes so much time, right. and I just don't think that we were anticipating our week looking like this yes. when we have other things in the pipeline. Yes, is really what it is. But I mean, it takes priority, obviously, because we right. need to get that person operational in their job. 
Well, yeah. And it's, and they just handle a lot of money. So yeah. I mean, right. But yeah. I would definitely yeah, say it's that. Definitely agree. Thanks everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with Brandy, we are drinking a raspberry vodka lemonade. We hope you get the chance to make it this week and cheers to running toward profitable businesses. To learn more and connect with Brandy, you can visit her business on Instagram at Brandy Gar or visit her website, brandygar.com. And to learn more about our hustles, visit us on the gram at CD Events at the Bradford NC and at Hustle and Gather. And if you're interested in learning more about our speaking, training, or venue consulting, head to our website, hustleandgather.com. Also, if you love us and you love the show, we would be more than honored if you left us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.